at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy News is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hey, happy uh, It's Not Their Fault. They Didn't Know Week. Yeah, I think it's both. Um, I think, you know, they work separately. Um, this was definitely a both game. Some games we're going to have, um, it's a Not Their Fault game. Others we're going to have, it's They Didn't Know games. Uh, against BC, it might be both yet again. Yeah, I mean, I would assume BC knows now, but it still might not be their fault. Their fault, uh, their lack of fault being that they don't possess an offense. Yes, and that also assumes that they includes uh, Steve Adazio. I don't know if they is just the team, if it's just the coach. Um, I'm sure this, hopefully this debate happens next week when we see who is they and and whose fault is it. (laughs) Our our new weekly segment. (laughs) New weekly segment, who's at fault. Um, what's the uh, it's what, what's do you watch Bojack Horseman? Of course I do. What, what's the uh, the game show from last season? <laughs> celebrities, Hollywood, the Hollywood stars and celebrities. Do they know things? What do they know? Let's what do they know? How, yes. <laughs> Whose house is this? What are, <laughs> that is a reference that maybe eight of our listeners will understand. You should all watch Bojack Horseman. Yeah, it's like the most depressingly funny show on television. Yes, which is saying something. There's many now. Um, and it also has a horse person, yeah. played by Will Arnett. He um, drinks a lot. It's a great, yes. it's a great television program. It's 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 honestly not that much different than just general Syracuse fandom uh, put into a Netflix cartoon. It's probably except why, it's about yeah. fame and not pretty for Syracuse. That, that's why we get to. That's why we probably relate to it. <laughs> we feel we feel Bojack's uh, his I don't know his strife his within strife. us, except he. We just want to watch like a football team that can go sits and sits like on a bad year, and he just wants to uh, grow his legacy from a bad sitcom. Yeah, and admittedly, I also enjoy the show because of all the uh, kind of Los Angeles-based Easter eggs that get tossed in there quite a bit. It's a, again, very entertaining program. Highly recommend for those who don't watch it on Netflix. I'm, I'm, I don't know how we got here in the first three minutes of this podcast, but, but we did, so... That's fine. Good, good on us. Good on us. Uh, so, uh, yeah, like we were saying uh, on Twitter on Wednesday, because for those who were wondering where the hell the podcast was on Thursday, um, technical difficulties uh, scuttled the ship. Um, we were saying that this was our first kind of quote-unquote big win podcast in quite some time since the Minnesota game in, in uh, the Texas Bowl in 2013. So we kind of didn't know what, our, what to do with ourselves since... This is kind of uncharted territory uh, since the podcast kind of entered its current format. I'd say, you know, 2013, we were still in a very much kind of trial and error. Let's see what worked. I think now at this point, we're in year four of this thing. We we have a bit of a groove going. Um, So, yeah, I don't think we know how to properly celebrate on this show, Dan. No, I mean, and and even referring to Minnesota as like a big run, like, I mean, I think winning a bowl game for Syracuse is always a nice thing. I've always enjoyed it the three times I've seen it happen. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, 
Um, but really, like, this is the biggest win the program realistically has had since that Louisville game in 2012, uh, where they blitzed. I mean, I guess Teddy Bridgewater actually had a really nice game, but they just, like, ran through that program that ended up beating Florida in the uh, Sugar Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, so, yeah, it's uh, it was a big day. And Ted, Virginia Tech, I, I heard some people saying, oh, maybe they weren't the number 17 team. Uh, there was no evidence of that heading in. Virginia Tech looked good in pretty much every game it played up to this point, including, like, that Tennessee team that they lost to is super talented and was very healthy then, unlike yeah. the team that lost to Alabama last weekend, which had, like, 11 big injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, that Tennessee team, even if they're not, like, a playoff team, that's, like, a top-10 program, probably. And... Vatek hunted with them uh, in their like second game under their new coach for a good two and a half quarters. So this is a very good team. Um, and like Tino said, apparently they just didn't know. <laughs> and <laughs> they, uh, we didn't know either because we both picked uh, Syracuse to lose by like 20 points. Um, That's fine. Which is fine. Like we didn't have any evidence that they were going to do what they did. No. Uh, coming off of that awful demon in Wake Forest, um, which obviously had mitigating circumstances that will hopefully not repeat themselves this weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just an awesome game. I actually didn't see any of it live. I I didn't see it until Monday. I, I was obviously like following it on my phone. I was I you know I was like, oh, this game's probably not gonna be great. I had friends in town. We went to brunch. I actually had the college football Saturday off for the first time in probably three years. Uh, so I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna distance myself from football today. Just take a nice a nice Saturday off for once. Ooh. And uh, I watched like the second half of Wisconsin Ohio State. Uh, at the bar later on. Um, but, like, I was just like, yeah, I, I can't really put this on. Like, they're winning. And I just expected it to implode, and I was, like, following Twitter and stuff, and it just it just happened. So um, I guess I can't watch any more games. <laughs> yeah, you're banned. <laughs> Although, yeah, I think the only person who hasn't been banned this season, I think you've been banned, Sean's been banned. I, on the other hand, the only game that I missed, we lost in astounding fashion. So maybe I should not be banned. <laughs> Which one did you miss? The Louisville game? Oh, no, I missed the Wake game. Oh, oh, I mean, astounding is, is one way to put that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, life ending. Wet. <laughs> wet. <laughs> wet fashion. It was, it was quite wet. Drizzly. Saki fashion. Yes. Um, so, I don't know. Where do we want to go first on this game? Because, Dan, give me some of your perspective watching the game on Monday after knowing what happened, um, you know, two days before. Uh, it, it was, I don't know, I, I, I kind of, I wish I had watched it live, because the suspense was totally drained from it. Um, I had seen, like, the big plays, but I really, like, stayed, I, I read a lot of stuff, but I, I really had stayed distance from it until I watched the full game on Monday morning. Um, it was just, it, it was impressive because it didn't look out of place. Like, you know where you see uh, a team that just finds life, and they have this big upset, and... It's like one of those video game, like the Madden games, where like the computers just on a win no matter what, and that's what it seems like the underdog is doing. Yeah, the Iowa um, State Oklahoma State game in like two thousand. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, I know this team is definitively worse than this other team, but they just cannot make a mistake, and they're gonna win because it's just not. It's just that's what's happening right now. This looked like a regular football game. Syracuse made a number of mistakes. Um, they had some questionable play calling. Uh, one one set of downs in particular that I know you. Uh, had a stroke over, which and I defended like I don't blame you after watching it. Um, it like Syracuse just looked like these were two teams that were like fairly evenly matched, and Syracuse outplayed them, and that could have happened. Like it looked like a, a game where like Syracuse would have won that matchup sixty percent of the time, and you're like, oh, that's just a better team at home. They won by two touchdowns. Great, 
it like didn't look like anything out of the ordinary, which is almost more exciting because it wasn't like they played their A game even. I thought they probably played like their B plus game, and they just that that was enough to be a, a pretty good Virginia Tech team handily, which is which is really exciting. Yeah, I mean, you even like if you want to take that a bit further, even into the advanced statistics end of it. Like I know I saw on Bill Connolly's like advanced stats page. Um, I think the offense performed at like maybe an 81st percentile, and the defense was like at a 58th, which which for that defense is really good. <laughs> yeah, but like you think about it, like if that was the defense at a 58th percentile, and that's what they were able to do, and that's who they were able to stop at a 58th percentile, like you can definitely you can definitely pick up what Dino Babers is putting down at this point. You know, if you want to even you know just not even on a, a sight test, but but on a metrics test, like. If that's us at it, it not even 75%, I'm very, very excited for what happens when this team really rounds into itself. And we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now. The defense is like, especially because it's hard to forget what happened in that Notre Dame game and what happened in Louisville, although Louisville does what they did to us more often than not at this point. Um, but this defense is coming along, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense because it's very banged up. There's no depth. Um, you have guys playing effectively out of position. Uh, and they just look like they're just coming along. Uh, Wake game, obviously, there isn't a ton to glean from it based on the conditions, but they, they played pretty well there. Um, Notre Dame, we, we talked like it's probably sounded at the time like we were really trying to put lip t- uh, lipstick on a pig but based on how most of that game went, but they made some, some nice stands. Yeah, they made some uh, strides over the course of that game. Yeah, at UConn was a nice performance. Virginia Tech is an all, like that, the 59 percentile side, like, they made some huge plays. They forced um, Evans into, what, his second pick of the year mm-hmm. uh, in a really big spot near the end zone. And that fumble um, later. And the fumble later, yeah. They, they, made, they were opportunistic. They, they basically did the things that uh, this cover two defense, uh, along with this offense, is designed to do. Like They played the game that is of the design uh, that this defense is intended for, uh, which is exciting. And it should only get better because you're going to get um, obviously just dies back from injury uh, eventually, maybe not this year, but next year, and then you're going to get players who actually fit the defense, which, as we've been harping on all year, is just really not the case with the personnel we have. So the fact, I, th- I honestly, like, I don't want to make it sound like this defense is going to be, like, amazing next year. It may never be amazing just based on how the offense plays, statistically at least, but I, I think you can give uh, a lot of credit to the defensive staff because they're clearly doing something right over the course of the season. And they are, are putting their players in an opportunity to make plays. And uh, it's it's gotten leaps and bounds better than what it was in South Florida and Louisville. Um, oh, so that's very exciting. 100%. And I think, like, it's, it's interesting you're seeing, you know, I was talking to Julian Wiggum about this, too, when I was uh, speaking with him last week. And for those who didn't read the article, Julian put up a great um, article on Wednesday, uh, breaking down the defense a little bit and, you know, talking about this improvement as well. Um, and it's great to get his thoughts since, you know, his, his experience in college was with the old defense and Scott Schaefer's system. Um, you're seeing a little bit of the old system kind of wiggling its way into the new one, but not the bad habits. Uh, you're seeing a lot crisper tackling over the last few weeks, uh, and, and you're seeing us being able to, you know, force turnovers and, and doing it in a way that, that plays to their strengths. Um, the linebackers right now, and I think in the future, are going to be the kind of the strength of this group. Um, it would be nice to, to have a little support um, from the line and, and the defensive backs, and that's kind of you know where you see the, the div- division between the first few games and the last few games. 
um, is that you really weren't getting much of a push on the front. Uh, you were letting up a lot of big plays in the secondary. In the last couple of games, like you really didn't see a ton of, I mean, it happened here and there, but you weren't seeing the same amount of um, receivers getting by our defensive backs. And this is with, you know, second and third string guys looking at like the, the spring game too deep. Um, you know, you got guys like Carl Jones playing uh, significant minutes, guys like Christopher Frederick playing significant minutes, um, you know, instead of like some of our best players on the defense, Dowles, Cordy, uh, Cordell Hudson hasn't really been in. There's a lot of other freshmen that have been injured. Rodney Williams seems like he's stepping up. Um, and Zaire Franklin, really, I mean, he was a guy that, you know, we talked about in the season preview podcast as someone who really needed to get it for this, uh, for this defensive scheme to work. Um, and, and he understands it. He might not. He's still not, you know, an expert in coverage, um, and that's what the traditional middle linebacker role is for this Tampa two. But you know, he's found a way to not disadvantage the coverage while still making plays at the line of scrimmage in the backfield. I mean, he's made fourth down stop, big fourth down stops now, two weeks in a row. Uh, well, two or three weeks in a row now. Um, and, and this team's ability to make stops in the red zone, make stops inside the ten. I mean, again, they're not an all worldly group but they're a hell of a lot better than, than the like probably bottom 10 group that we saw in those first probably three games. Yeah, the Franklin point's a, a really good point, because like you said, he's still adjusting, and you see like here and there there are lapses in coverage, but then he made that awesome... Uh, he was the one who deflected the pass in the air that was picked off late, I believe, right? Yeah, um, yeah so he, he got his hand on that, which was a nice read play. Um, I honestly, like, Franklin's made some huge plays this year, the UConn game uh, last week and this week. Um, it's not crazy to think he should be on like some maybe third team all ACC consideration. Like he's had a really nice year. Um, and then the other play that really jumped out, uh, similar in terms of like read and react, Rodney Williams' pick was awesome. Like he baited the receive uh, the quarterback into that throw, which um, and kind of comes out of nowhere, pops into the screen, and just makes an awesome play in the end zone. So uh, really good to see those guys like starting to understand like uh, the instincts required and 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 make these big plays in coverage where the last defense, and this isn't like a comparison over like, which is a better approach. I think they both have their, their uses and we had some really, really good defenses under Schaefer, but um, it's just a big switch. Uh, like the last, the last defense was very predicated on getting pressure and making big plays there. This one is um, bend don't break, making big interceptions, uh, forcing fumbles, taking advantage uh, on the back end and not allowing big plays. So um, very different schemes. And, and as we've noted pretty much consistently this season, like the as big as the offensive adjustment is going to be, the defensive one is not to be understated. And we're definitely seeing progress on both ends, which is is exciting. I think this weekend, obviously, it being a big upset um, helps. But I think even beyond like the store of the game and the emotion and the the locker room uh, antics afterwards, like you saw very uh, meaningful advancement. Um, just on a play-by-play basis, which is awesome to see. And hopefully uh, both those things continue to come together and we get, you know, the fans that are excited. Um, you really can't ask for much more pub than what Syracuse has got, which I think favors. Uh, as much as he's going to deny that that's what he was doing, like, it became very clear to me after, like, the 18th time I watched that video. Um, <laughs> Babers definitely understood the camera was there and definitely knew this was his shot this year to get some attention on Syracuse uh, for good reasons. And he just, like, absolutely leaned into it and did everything he could um, to make this as big a moment as it could be. Uh, and I think he did it with uh, to great effect. Because it's been a story all week, which is kind of crazy, because, like, we've had upsets like this before. 
um, in the last couple of years where it like wasn't it didn't blow up like, like this. No, no, not at all. And I think it, it goes to show, you know, you look at the different PR styles of uh, we've had, you know, similar PR from a university standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, but where you see a little bit of difference is where the coaching style and his PR efforts. Um, I think Marone was, you know, win him over with, I think at first it was win him over with kindness and, and kind of, you know, it's on me, take the, and take the bullets for, you know, his alma mater and all this. Um, and, and that eventually led to success. I think Schaefer, uh, success early on as he kind of preached, you know, continuity, tough guy attitude, and that eventually led to, like, maybe not as much in touch with reality in terms of where the program was and, and, and a bit of a, a gruff exterior with the media. Babers, um, I think it's, it's in part him. I mean, he was holding court at ACC Media Days, having Wild Hack come in, given his background at ESPN, um, are both huge draws. But I, I think what he's done, he's a bit of a P.T. Barnum type, um, you know, referencing any PR 101 uh, book for those who have been in PR 101. Um, he, he's a bit of a, like, you know, come see the show type guy and and he's not going to create bluster around things that don't deserve it but when there is he knows the moment he's going to capture it and if SU loses every game for the rest of the year you might not remember the Virginia Tech upset um, around the country you might not remember anything about the game but you're going to remember that video and, and there's no way in hell he didn't know that yeah um, I, and I also think it helps that uh, Babers especially compared to Schaefer um really has the college football media on his side. Like, he's he's this personality where God, people already knew him from Bowling Green. He wasn't, like, a huge name, but people knew, oh, this guy had really good teams uh, in the MAC. Uh, and those who really pay attention to college football, you know, watch, watch those, those two Falcon teams play really well, but they kind of had an idea of his personality going in. And he's definitely not nearly as standoffish with the media as uh, Schaefer was and didn't have, like, the Atlanta gaffe, which I still don't think was that big a deal, but yeah. we made a very big deal. Um, he, yeah, so he just doesn't have that baggage. So he, uh, you have people who have no interest in Syracuse totally buying in um, because he runs a, a, an awesome offense. It's fun to watch and easy to write about and support. And then he has a, a good personality, and it all really came together this past weekend. Completely agree. Um, and switching, I guess, gears a little bit to one negative, and then we switch back to positive. Um, Dan, did you know that you'd be walking into that drive beforehand or, or was that something like no one had mentioned to you because of the win? The, uh, the, the, the oh, four and out on the one yard line. I can't, I was watching with my roommate who watched most of the game, uh, live. And I think I was aware of it. I don't think I knew exactly where it was, but I think after the first two plays, I was like, is this the one where we get totally stopped from like two yards out? And we just ran some some bullshit the whole time. And he's like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, I, I really wonder. I was like, I, John must have lost his mind. And he's like, yeah, you should go see his Twitter feed. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, that was that was my low point of the Babers era so far, where I was I was kind of just unloading like every frustration that I had had. And like, admittedly, like no, one, like, and that's the thing, the, the internet remembers everything, but no one's gonna remember that. Unless like things go south and then, or if things go really well, like and someone decides that they wanted to, you know, catch all my tweets about like the one time that I decided to come unglued about this. Because to be honest, like I think I've been incredibly supportive. The whole staff has been really, really supportive. Um, I think we're really supportive of Schaefer, to be honest. When when there was something to support, like 
uh, when it comes to Babers. We, we were very supportive of Schaefer for a good, like, year and a half, and then... And then the Tough Guys Speak started, and... Yeah. Yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, the only thing I took issue with was, if we're... And, and I said this on the last couple of podcasts, and, and we, we fixed it this week, was, if you're going to say you're aggressive, then go for it on fourth down, then don't settle for 50-yard field goals, and, like, we did half of that. I think going for it on fourth, uh, fourth down five times was awesome making you know completing four of those conversions was even better um and those extended drives those helped us put up points those helped us win the game um i hope that that's more of what we see um going forward versus what we saw in you know the last few games um i know in particular um the yukon i think everything from the usf game until this past week was there was a whole lot of reservations on fourth down uh we weren't taking the rest we needed to um, if we wanted to win games, we wanted to turn the page in the program. We did see it against Virginia Tech, which is awesome. Um, I know I, I won't say much more about the, the you know, four plays from the one. Um, I know you weren't at the Iowa game, um, but it, it took me back to that Iowa game. And, and as I've told people numerous times, that was my – well, I watched SU for years. That was my first in-game experience. My first game as a student was seeing that. Um, and, and for me, it's a trigger point of, uh, and it takes me right back to sitting in, in a sweltering hot dome facing a ranked Iowa team that we should have knocked off, we could have knocked off, um, and said we didn't. And to me, I thought those days were over. I thought that that type of offensive attack was over. And to see, you know, five wide from the one when when just sucking it up and putting in Fredericks or you know, using Cam McPherson um, as, as an extra blocker like we did uh, later on when Dungy scored from the one and really kind of used him to just set a pick and let Dungy squeeze in. Um, it, it, was, it, was, it was very, very frustrating to watch. Um, but, again, like, th- this was the first game that I really felt notes were taken, uh, adjustments were made, um, and, and SU got to really, especially on offense, got to address a lot of the issues um, that we saw in the first half. I mean, I, I said it on the, in the play call breakdown. Um, SU got to at least the Virginia Tech 40 on every single drive in the second half. And, and I mean, that, that, that's absolutely stunning. I mean, we still have more to go. Uh, if you look at Bill Connolly's numbers, um, our third down offense is one of the 10 worst, the uh, third quarter offense, excuse me, is one of the 10 worst in the entire country. Um, but, our first, but our first quarter offense is one of the top 25 in the country. So if we can find a way to even those two things out, um, then we're starting to make headway. But I think we started to, to see the progress in the positive direction uh, this past week. Yeah, and going back to what I said before, like it wasn't like Syracuse played a perfect game. You had that just terrible drive, uh, well, not full drive, a terrible uh, goal line uh, set of downs. And there was just like a number of things during the game where, you know, I was pretty sure, or I would have been pretty sure if I had watched it live, but like there was probably three or four things that was like, well, we're definitely losing. This means we're losing. We're not going to withhold of this lead. It wasn't like just like like the West Virginia game on the Friday night of the, or that Louisville game where one Syracuse got control. It just Never didn't in doubt. They could do. Never in <laughs> doubt. Um, this was not that game. It, it seemed like more of a normal football game, uh, which makes me, like I said, like almost a little more excited about how it turned out. Um, and that was definitely it. Like that, it could have been a three touchdown win if Syracuse uh, had called anything remotely effective in that drive and that was very it was that was very frustrating um, um i guess I, that was like the one point where i was not allowed i knew the result before i watched because 
I would have been like pulling my hair out as well. I, I almost did anyway. Like it was it was really bad. <laughs> it wasn't like oh they ran four plays and that's like it was like, nope, perplexing. You went, nope, you went why five, they were doing the things they were doing. <laughs> you, you you went five wide on two out of three plays, and then and then finally you decided oh, maybe we should run this. Um, yeah, you know what though? I, I feel like like I said, I think. I mean, I don't I don't know Babers well enough to know if he's a stubborn guy. I feel like most coaches are. Um, but but I did I do applaud the, the changes that were made and, and the fixes that were implemented. Um, I, I did feel like again the the offense just looked better in, in the second half. I, I do think that's a big plus. Um, you know I, I know you said SU could have won by another touchdown. I think SU could have won by twenty more points if you look at what was left on the board. I mean Murphy missed another two field goals, but at this point, like, are, are we setting him up? And this isn't criticizing the staff. This is more just a, a general point. And I don't want anyone to take it as me, like, setting the special teams on fire. Um, at, at what 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 point are we undermining Murphy's ability to get it back together? Um, I don't think any field goal kicker should be put in a position, in college especially, where he's got to hit two or three 50-yarders a game um, because he's going to miss two. He's probably going to miss at least one of those, if not two. Um, I mean, the fact that Murphy's talented enough to hit one of them at all is, is great. But I feel like we're eroding his confidence by putting him in, posi- in these positions to constantly try to hit 50-yarders. Yeah, it, that certainly was one of the other confusing parts of the team. And it's unfortunate because Murphy was quite reliable last year um, and for the first couple games this year. And uh, in the last couple of weeks, he's been a total mess. So uh, I do hope they find a way to... Uh, they they find a way to get him you know back in a groove and kicking obviously is so mental. Um, you see it in the NFL like guys will be consistent for like three years and then they have one string of bad games and they get cut. Uh, there's just a, clearly a lot there that we don't understand just as people who haven't done it. Um, and I think that's the case for a lot of like football coaching staffs to be honest. Uh, there just isn't always a focus on special teams. So hopefully ours uh, has some ideas as to how to get Murphy. Back to, uh, you did see like the 150 yard he hit. He was like overjoyed after he hit it. So hopefully yeah. that you know gives him some confidence, even when he did have the other misses. The thing is, he's got a strong enough leg for it. Like, and, and that's the that's the rough part is is that that's when you know it's mental, not physical. Is when he has the leg for these 50 yard kicks every time. It's just it's the accuracy piece, and, and it's I mean that that the fact that it was not just a 50-yard, the one that was not just a 50-yard field goal, but it was a rushed 50-yard field goal at the end of the play clock and didn't need to be, that's what killed me. And it's something that, I, again, I brought up again in, in the play call breakdown is, yeah, if we could avoid doing that going forward, that'd be awesome. Yeah, and, and it's, if it was just 50-yarders that he was, like, only hitting a third of, I'd, like, I get that. Those are tough kicks. But it's it's the fact that, we're, that we were using him in those situations, despite the fact that he has like a slew of like what he has one or two Mr. Blotchester points and has a, a couple of really like chip shot field goals that he's missed that he yeah. was hitting every time last year. So it's like you have all those and then you're also having him doing trying a 53 yarder with the clock winding down. Like maybe let's, let's just run a play and see what happens and, and get him some easy kicks and build his confidence back up. But you know, maybe hitting that 50 yarder is what was more important. And he, he got that under his belt. So we'll see, we'll see what happens going forward. Um, Hopefully it doesn't cost us a game because that would be really unfortunate, um, especially because wins down the stretch, even with this Virginia Tech win and how you know much better we feel about the team. Like I still think 
we're uh, a real uphill battle here to even sniff six wins. I think five might honestly be like the hard cap. So we'll uh, we'll see. I, I I do hold out hope because he did put like a great season last uh, together last year. So hopefully he can return to being that guy consistently. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I haven't looked to see if that quality control uh, special teams assistant job is still up. But, um, I mean, we've seen some levers pushed on special teams uh, since, you know, I was kind of taking the special teams to task after the UConn game. Um, you know, we inserted Brisley Esteem back into the punt return role primarily. And I think, I mean, it kills me that he was ever removed from it for any point in time because, A, the defense, while improved, still isn't good enough to force more than, like, what, five punts a game. And, and B, like, he's, he's still making a bigger impact on the offense now in the last few weeks and making a bigger impact on special teams. I mean, Brizzly's best trait um, has always been his ability to flip the field. And, you know, we started doing that in the Texas Bowl against Minnesota um, where he set us up for what ended up being the game-winning touchdown. Uh, he, I, 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 I'm puzzled as to what, what caused any switch of, of Brizzly out of his primary role and the role that he's gotten all-conference acclaim for. But... It, it's not worth harping on anymore. He's back in that role, and uh, it was great to see him yet again, you know, set us up with a short field that ended up, you know, kind of sealing the game with that last touchdown. Yeah, it, it, it we we called for it after he had the one big return a couple games ago. Like that needs to be him. I don't care if it costs him a couple plays at the beginning of the drive. Syracuse is going on enough extended drives where he'll he's going to be on the offense um, most of the time. And this week, they, I mean, great example. They, this is his biggest week on offense by far this year um we mentioned i mean i know i i was saying that i was really hoping he would find a bigger role in the offense and, and it seems like they've done that um especially this i don't know what they saw in this matchup but he and, and phillips just absolutely tore up virginia tech i don't know if virginia tech has that big a drop between their like outside and inside corners but uh their, their nickel and dime backs were just getting roasted and um it proved that like Grizzly can can return punts and you can get him back out there and he can be effective. So hopefully that is the game plan going forward. Much agreed. Um, on that note, Dan, what have you been drinking for the last week? Uh, so I had some decent new stuff um, or newish stuff uh, this week. Uh, I had a friend bring back down a thing of Switchback Ale from Vermont, so I drank a lot of that, uh, which is pretty solid. Nothing like game changery or at all, but a very nice, you know, standard, very drinkable ale. Um, and then I had uh, Avery has a dosa, which uh, was solid. I, I wrote on Untapped. It wasn't my favorite of the style, and it wasn't my favorite Avery, but like it was very, very solid. Would definitely drink it again. Um, and Avery like just made good beer, so I wasn't surprised. It was quite good. And then uh, the best thing I had uh, from Breakside Brewery, which is out in Portland, Oregon, I think. Um, they have a passion fruit sour ale that was absolutely delicious. Like. Just a really good sour, but nothing, you know, it was, it was incredibly drinkable. I could have had uh, a, a number of those. I kept myself to one. Um, but that was really, really good and kind of unexpected, um, just how good that was. So I'll definitely be looking out for that one again. Uh, I don't think I'd have seen more, you know, breakside around here. But uh, obviously there are a couple places around here that did a lot of uh, West Coast stuff and a lot of rare stuff. So that was that was awesome. Interesting. Yeah, I got to look, look that one up. Some things that I had, um, I stopped over to my favorite spots around here for long-time listeners. That'd be Smog City and Monkish over in Torrance. Um, tried the Dry Hop Sour Blonde over at Smog City. Uh, 
I've mentioned Snugglebug and Cuddlebug and uh, Chinooks and Crannies, among some other sours that Smog City's made. Um, the base beer for that is this, uh, this Sour Blonde that they decided to dry hop. Uh, excellent, excellent beer. Uh, one of my favorite IPAs made in L.A. Uh, Amarillo Gorilla was back. I try some of that. Uh, Monkish uh, has been releasing some IPAs every other week or so. Um, and the one that they decided to go with after the Dodgers... Um, first round victory was called LA Hat was made with uh, Citra Mosaic Hops very good again they make East Coast style IPAs so a nice change of pace for us out here Um, then also came home and had an actual East Coast style IPA from Treehouse Uh, a friend of mine sent me a can of Julius that was pretty fresh much enjoyed Um, also on the East Coast IPA train had a a Sea Hag IPA from New England Brewing Uh, same friend sent that um, and then enjoyed some stuff from the brewery. Uh, the Grade was a uh, Baltic Porter made with maple syrup. Um, and then Mash and Vanilla uh, was a uh, barley wine, a bourbon barrel aged barley wine with vanilla. Uh, very, very good um, variant on Mash, which uh, the brewery makes a lot of use of. I had a, uh, two bottles of Mash and Coconut actually in my fridge that I'll be cracking open soon enough. Very excited to try those. Very nice. Indeed. Um, all right. So next game, Boston College. Um, this is the only game this year that we are, well, second game this year, UConn being the other, that we are going to uh, kind of exuberantly look down on on the other team, at least going in. Um, even if we lose, I still feel much better about SU's place in the world versus BC's. Don't you, Dan? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, uh, was it on BCI where they, they put up a long post about how, like, this was kind of, like, the game for Adazio and, like, it was trying to make or break for him? I felt really bad for AJ. I was like, I, I read this article, I'm like, dude, this is, like, this is, like, the darkest timeline. Like, I don't even write shit like this. <laughs> and, like, I think part of it is that, like, Adazio had more uh, success up front. He had, like, what, two goal games? It was basically, like, if, if you had had an extra year of like 2013 Schaefer before everything fell apart. So like you have more invested in him. Um, It's harder to then like get away. You're like worried that even another bad year will buy you another year with Schaefer. We were pretty reasonably certain that it was going to be it. And it was. And he also Um, only had a year left on his contract. Adazio was extended to 2020. Right. So I I get it. Um, It's, and it's tough when you see like a team like Syracuse, like, Syracuse and BC are similar-ish teams in terms of ability this year, and Syracuse pulled a 31-17 upset of Virginia Tech, a team that beat BC 49-0 earlier in the year. And it just, it's hard to, and obviously we're Syracuse fans, so we're a little biased, but like it's hard to look at both teams and say that one is not going in a much better direction than the other. Oh, completely. And I mean, you just look at the recruiting rankings. I mean, despite the fact that Adazio has got them out of the funk that they were in under Spaziani... You know, in year one, he took in a senior-laden team, and you know Andre Williams was an absolute machine um, to an eight and five record. You know, in year two, slight drop as a lot of those seniors left. I think they had like eighteen senior starters or something on the on the first year. Second year, you know, you saw a little bit of a dip uh, to seven and six. And that third year, everybody, all the upperclassmen were gone from his first two. Uh, he didn't really recruit that well. He was looking like you know sixties or so. And that team tripped and fell pretty hard on offense. Um, again, like, they don't really... BC has not yet shown an ability 
to develop a, a quarterback. Like since Chase Reddick graduated, we're now three years removed, and they haven't. I mean, and, and that's you know coming from us who had the same problem after NASA left for the most part. And uh, and now you know they they once again go in with a mercenary and Patrick Tolles, who I don't think is that great. He's you know marginally accurate. He's marginally good at throwing the football more than twenty yards. Like there was a reason he didn't work out of Kentucky, and like he's a good stopgap. But again, like if BC doesn't show an ability to develop quarterback talent, like that's a real problem in the ACC where. You know, even the def- defensively minded teams can can put up points, and and if you can't move the ball through the air, uh, you're going to be hard. I mean, again, just get, get a guy. I mean, again, this is a this is a bad example because he would transfer as well. But a guy like Nate Peterman um, over at Pitt, he can move the ball through the air with enough competence that it doesn't hurt the running game being the staple. Um, BC is just ignored, uh, you know, recruiting on offense for for far too long, and it's. It's becoming their, their identity, which is which is bad, and I'm glad that SU, despite the fact that our offense has been terrible for a few years, we're still able to recruit skill players um, that can make an impact. Yeah, it's almost like BC bought so far into just being this like awesome defensive team that they just haven't paid attention to trying to field an offense. And you don't have to go like full bore, uh, like Syracuse did with Babers, but like at least try to do something. Um, that resembles like a modern effective offense. Like this is what, and I'm, it's not to compare these two programs at all. This is what buried Les Miles. Like Les Miles got fired because he absolutely refused to make adjustments on offense. And like after he was on the chopping block, brought back the same coordinator and ran the same old offense that hadn't been effective for six or seven years uh, and got fired three weeks in. So like obviously Boston College is in LSU, but like eventually you got to start doing something uh, new and, and not – just throwing stuff out there and be like, oh, our defense will give up 13 points a game. Because honestly, like, BC's defense is good, but it's not, it's not as good as it was last year. And last year's defense only got it to, what, three or four wins? So right. Three wins um, and none in conference. Same as this year right. so far. Oh, And, and Les, was do, Les was doing it, and, and David Shaw's doing it at, at Stanford and Michigan State to an extent with three- and four-star guys. Like, you're doing it with more talent where you're, you're, you're leaning on a defense – um, leaning on a defense doesn't necessarily work as well when you're leaning on two and three star guys on both sides. Like again, you look at Stanford, like and especially LSU. I mean, the reason that Les was fired was because he had four and five star guys that he was doing nothing with on offense. But you're seeing right away that putting in a competent offense under Orgeron sees results because those guys, coincidentally, you know, are talented, can score points, can move the football. Um, Adazio by ignoring the offense and recruiting two and three star guys exclusively, that's kind of where, you know, the, the entire enterprise loses steam very quickly. Yeah. I mean, this is why you have to go for like when you're a team like Syracuse or BC, which exists in very similar recruiting footprints, although for whatever reason, we don't seem to recruit against them as much as you'd think uh, for the same guys, but still in the same situation, like, there's there's one team that's going to try to bunker in our defense, and, and they this isn't to mention that uh, we haven't even mentioned that they lost their defensive coordinator in Michigan last year. So uh, the fact that they're even as good on defense this year as, as they have been is is almost like lucky. Like they have a lot of the same personnel, but when you lose a coordinator, like it can totally throw you off. Um, Syracuse is going for the full like, hey, take advantage of the dome. We're going to go 
uh, with the trendiest thing we could be doing right now, a team, uh, something that isn't being run anywhere near here. Um, we're starting to see some attention to pay to it now. Uh, I know there's that P Thamel piece, but like there are four teams in the whole nation out of 128 or 29 now uh, running this Baylor's offense. There are some similar offenses, but there's only four running this exact thing. Um, I bet that number doubles in the next like two years. Uh, but Syracuse is out ahead of it pretty quickly. BC, you know, if they make a move, they're going to be almost behind the eight ball. Um, and you're then betting that you're going to be able to recruit even at the level that Syracuse is, which isn't like great, but it's it's still a, still a decent amount improving. better. Yeah, it's like a, a decent like tier better um, based in the last couple of years. So I, this is all to say that I kind of get where AJ was coming from, um, and I get the bleakness, even if it isn't totally apparent. Uh, just looking at BC from a, a distance, um, I can see where uh, you feel bad. And then, you know, just looking at the results this year, like they're, they're good enough to beat the bad teams pretty handily, but the three games against teams that are as good or better than them, they absolutely blew the Georgia Tech game where they actually, according to Bill C's numbers, they had a 79% win expectancy and lost. Like, that's hard. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, Vatek ran them out of the stadium and Clemson ran them out of the stadium. Uh, so that's not great. Like, this is... It almost, I mean, it reminds me of, of the Schaefer years. Like, maybe they'll beat the good team, the uh, bad teams that they're supposed to beat by decent margins, but the second you face a team that has uh, an advantage on you, like, talent-wise, there's just no shot. Right, and yeah, and, and this is kind of, I mean, BC fans, are, are. it's totally fair for them to see this as, as the game that dictates Adazio's tenure in the season, because if you can't beat SU, you're probably not going to be able to beat Wake Forest. Granted, there's a bit of a scheme difference, and I think that, you know, I've said this numerous times, and so have you, is that the speed of the SU system definitely creates an advantage against a slower plotting team like BC. But that said, if you're BC, you're looking at a 5-7 and seven ceiling when Vegas said that you were winning no less than 6.5 games. I mean, Vegas was wrong, and you and I said they were wrong during the summer because you looked at that BC schedule and 3-9 and nine was on the table. Well, here we are. Um, that's not the, you know, I told you so the whole damn thing. But it's to say there was never any evidence that this year was going to be some sort of, you know, landslide, like just change in in culture and ability um, where this BC squad, you know, you brought up recruiting a little bit, like even under Schaefer, and and this, this doesn't account for all of the attrition and everything else, but even under Schaefer, you know, SU was still recruiting in the high 60s high to high 60s to to mid 50s um class wise um to getting into you know the the low 50s and and i think we finished 50th or 51st for a couple of those years um and you look at the the maroon team that would have happened um after he left after the pinstripe bowl that team was well on track to have a top 40 to 45 recruiting class so like bc jumped into the top 50 i think once in the last eight years or so but otherwise like this is a program that just is not recruiting at a level you need to succeed. And like, that's where you do draw the line between SU and BC and you draw the line between a Duke and a, and a Syracuse is that, you know, Duke right now, the last two years now has been recruiting at a top 40 level. Um, and, and while this year's Duke team looks like a disaster, uh, that's going to pay dividends um, at some point, just like SU's ability to recruit at a top 50 to 60 level, while not amazing in a national standpoint is still, far and away better than than what um, you see BC being able to put together over a long-term stretch recently. 
Right. Uh, and bringing up Vegas, by the way, I will say, like, literally the only reason I'm not, like, totally confident in us in Syracuse winning this game is that that Vegas line came out and it made absolutely no sense. And that is a giant red flag. Yeah, because uh, we said this we said this going into the USF game last year. Um, yep. And, and that was bad. Um, BC had a bye. Um which helps. Uh, their last game was against Clemson, and they didn't really try in the second half, so they basically got an extra half by weekend. Uh, good for you guys. Uh, we had to play a very physical, tough, fast Virginia Tech team this past week in the Dome. Um, and then weather. Uh, weather is probably going to rear its ugly head one way or another. I'm less worried about the rain. I'm more worried about the wind. Uh, right. We're looking at 25 to 30 mile per hour winds in this game, potentially. And that, especially when we're going against it, is going to derail this passing game. And that um, is really where I'm most concerned, given what we saw um, in a kind of fruitless game against Wake Forest, where um, we had one kind of spurt where it wasn't raining too hard and we seemed to understand how to move the offense down the field. But otherwise, um, the running game didn't work because we insisted on using backs who were my size instead of a guy who's a little bit bigger in Jordan Fredericks. Um, and we refused to avoid throwing the ball downfield when that really wasn't an option. And I just hope we learned our lessons there. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I think the line's even more perplexing when I, I don't even think the weather was really factored in. I don't know that we had a forecast when this dropped, at least not the no. forecast that we saw today. No. So, um, yeah, I, I still think Syracuse should win this game based on what we've seen from these two teams. But when Vegas is like, oh, yeah, six-point BC favorite, I, I get they're at home, but that's a three-point swing, um, I'm, a, I'm a, a little nervous. Connolly's line's four and a half. Yeah, I actually saw that, too. Like, I'm just – I, it makes me a little nervous. And I actually saw – I think David Hale uh, in ESPN's picks, like, did, they basically said, I'm only picking BC because the line is weird. <laughs> and, like, I'm – I'm totally, I totally get it. Like I'm a thousand percent with him on that logic. I just couldn't pull myself to not pick Syracuse uh, with the points. Uh, so we'll we'll see. I mean, hopefully this is like one of those rare Vegas didn't know and just stared everyone into betting Syracuse and then lost some money on it situations. Yeah, I mean it very well could be. Um, I know when I talked to AJ, he said 34-10 Syracuse wins. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I said 33-24 when I talked to BCI. I'm going to revise that for our prediction to go up tomorrow just because I did that without weather being a factor. Um, I let down games are real. Yes, they're that's very, the other factor. They're very real. Um, I saw the Cordell Hudson still out, which there's two different perspectives on that absence. David Ellison was really good. <laughs> no, David Ellison's fantastic. Um, yeah, Hudson he's had a bigger out, role. Yeah, Hudson being out gave way to... I think Carl Jones has actually done a really... He's going to be a guy that we're, we're going to want to talk about after the season as someone who really stepped up. I mean, he didn't play out of his mind. He's not going to put up a stat sheet that, that wows you. But I think considering what he had to deal with and what he's had to be kind of pushed into right away um, as, a, as a fairly green uh, defensive back at the collegiate level, I don't, I don't really have any qualms about how he's played so far. <laughs> Yeah, I, and this also actually, um, I know we have, uh, we have a buy after this, right? Yes. That's why I take my one Saturday off per year, is I, I, I plan my entire 
my entire Saturday off for the bye. After the bye is Clemson. I don't know if that still counts as uh, the old like solid verbal uh, letdown look ahead. Um, nope. If not for the bye, it would definitely be a letdown look ahead. Uh, um, I don't know. We have to consult uh, Dan Rubens and Ty uh, on that. Well, so. well I mean, it, it, I don't know why we'd be looking ahead to Clemson, knowing what's in store. I mean, they've played Clemson close to two years in a row. Maybe they think this will be the year with the new offense and stuff. I, I don't know that I buy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe this is like the old, like, uh, whenever we play Notre Dame, we got to call G-Rod. Uh, G-Rod back up. Maybe we uh, did Schaefer in, in the building, see if we could uh, keep it close, and then uh, only have Baber, call, have Baber come back whenever it's like a punting situation where Schaefer would punt it from the 36. Uh, that's, that, that, was, that was the moment. I said, I remember it was the pit game, and I was talking to you. I said, we're done. I'm, I'm absolutely done. <laughs> this was the Greg moment. I, and it's gone. Yeah, and there it is. Like, and and hopefully that moment never happens. Because you know what, that moment never happened with Marone. That moment, I I'd be shocked if that moment ever happened with Babers. Because because if you're gonna base your entire, I mean, Marone did some conservative things, but he never did. I don't recall anything that was so perplexingly conservative that it was counterintuitive to Wang. Yeah, Marone would punt really conservatively, but generally it was in a close game. Right. <laughs> and not one that, like, is on the brink of falling apart. Like, not one where it's like, you have to go for this, or you have no chance of winning. It would be like, Marone would punt, like, from really short distances and do stupid things, but it wasn't like, the game is on the line. If you don't score on this drive, you're going to, okay, punted. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, we're, we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of wish Schaefer had just said after the game, Riley Dixon's our best player, and we decided to put the ball in the hands of our best player. That's that's and, fine. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I guess he did that. <laughs> yeah, the one, like, and that's the thing. Like, if the Wake Forest game never happens again, because I had some questions last week, and I brought them up on the podcast about some, some decision-making and, and some, some calls that were made while the game was still a little bit in doubt. Um, but if that never happens again, we're good. Like, then, you know, it was a, it was a one-off thing. We just didn't have the horses to to run in the rain, and that's again, it, it is what it is. If if SU goes five and seven and, and makes a bowl game via APR, fine. If we go four and eight and everyone remembers that crazy locker room video, that's cool too. Like at this point, at this point, and Sean said this the other day, um, Babers has done everything he he was supposed to do. At, at this point, everything else is, is a nice to have, not a need to have, because. He already pulled off something that Scott Schaefer never did. Yeah, I think the rest of this year, I, I, I think beating BC is something that is reasonable to expect and would be a nice step. If it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world. Um, ditto, like, NC State would be a nice scalp. Um, but if it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world. So I think I, I, the BC is the last game where I think Syracuse should be, I mean, they're not favored, but... There's a reasonable expectation the last that game, they could win. Right, and NC State, if they beat BC, then maybe you say NC State, like, they're not, you know, it'll be an upset, but it'll be very mild. Um, I think State's overall, actually better than we gave them credit for. I mean, and I don't know why. It's possible. I've watched them enough that I still, and yet I still don't understand, like, what, like, there's, like, I still don't understand what NC State does well enough, because I feel like what that is is different in every game. Yeah, they they just don't make any sense. I, I, there's also a chance that that Clemson game was, like, the last two years against us, like, that Clemson just didn't know, like... Clemson's had that every year uh, under Swinney. Like, they usually win those games, but 
they've had those weird like what what was Clemson doing games yeah, and that was probably um, so last may- week maybe that was then, last week yeah or maybe state's decent who knows that like you said like if state if we could identify like why state was okay most weeks like it would make sense but it, it really feels like they just like rotate through profiles of teams but they're always about the same like in terms of ability it's just they do just it doesn't make sense in terms of like style or anything right um but yeah uh, i think overall like BBC would be really awesome rivalry game, et cetera. And then just having like good process throughout the rest of the year, being exciting, uh, show, you know, give fans reason to get excited going into next year. Obviously you don't want to end the season on a four game losing streak, but it's not really what this year is about. Um, even with the win over Virginia tech. So, uh, like you said, I think it'd be hard to not count year one under Babers as a success in terms of what the reasonable expectations were going in. And key keyword is reasonable here. Mm-hmm. Now that said, BC is winnable, NC State is confusing, and I am I am so emotionally and mentally scarred by facing Pitt, Pittsburgh in football or basketball that I can cannot reasonably ever expect a win. But if we get some random fifty-five degree heat wave in the middle of November down in Pittsburgh, I mean they're their defensive backs are trash. Yeah, and there's not going to be a great crowd because I don't remember the last time there was a good crowd for a Syracuse Pit game. Um, it's because when they had the goddamn game every year. <laughs> right. Just, just, um, just I, At this point, just throw it in week two. Nobody cares. You'll probably get a better crowd from both parties than, than, than what you've tried to do with it the last few years. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, that's the path. Like If you can beat BC and then you can beat NC State in that Pit game... It's. I mean, it's going to be like the 2011 pick game. Um, obviously, you get to the five and six record much different ways, but uh, actually not that differently because no. like the West Virginia <laughs> win and the it's just different part of the program in a different place because right. you were coming off a bowl that one time. This time you're like in a total rebuild first year under a new coach, and you didn't start um, five and two. Yeah, and you're hoping that Chandler Jones isn't going to pick up a pass and have a clear lane to the end zone, but be too hobbled to take it all the way. Um, I was at that game. I was. One of the like one of the low key more miserable losses that I attended at Syracuse. Um, oh, I told myself we were losing. Like I was watching, but I was like making sure I was doing something else at the time because I didn't want to be invested. <laughs> like, was, like I was told, like, I told myself it was happening the entire time. The, the bus ride back from Pittsburgh was that was a very long bus ride back from Pittsburgh. I will say. <laughs> yes. So. If, if Syracuse does a bowl this year, it will be like a monumental achievement, and Dino will hopefully not get offered seven million dollars a year by Purdue. There's just no, there, there's no way, and, and 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 he's smart enough to know that like the bones, like you know, it's like as, as someone who owns a house, when you walk into a house, you want to make sure the bones are there, and you right? Want, you want to make sure that the place isn't going to fall apart if you if you start doing some demo. Uh, you want to make sure that you don't have to overhaul the entire kitchen. Uh, if Dino walked into Purdue, he's going to knock on a few walls and realize that <laughs> the wood here is made of paper. Um, I have to gut the entire electric, and I have to redo the kitchen like on day one. Yes, because the Big Ten winds are blowing, and the whole house might blow away at any moment. <laughs> Where Syracuse, uh, for all the shit we give Scott Schaefer, and justifiably so, was di- Dino was given a much better situation in Syracuse than he would be if he was to go take the Purdue job and not there's there have been rumors like Bud Bud, Bud mentioned it in a column today and that's kind of why I brought it up but 
I think the chances of Dino taking that job are very low, unless you're very scared about Big Ten money, which is a factor. It wouldn't be like the craziest thing that's ever happened in college football, but it, it isn't something I'm very concerned about because I think Dino being, uh, you know, not an older coach, but like, you know, he's old in his enough. 50s. Like, pretty- he's old enough. He's a veteran. Like, he knows you, you can't make that jump. If he gets offered something crazy – uh, like if if an oh, S- Texas if a, offered you, yeah, sure. Yeah, like, then you go. Then you just go. And you don't think about it. You just go. Um, if you like Purdue, that's just they might pay more. They probably would pay more. But, but yeah, like, is it day, worth it to yeah. to have to try to rebuild that thing in three years and deal with the expectations that will probably be put forth if you were given a bid contract that trumps what Syracuse is going to offer? Probably not. So, I, I think I think there's a good chance that Dino. Um, will be fairly reasonable if that time comes. And if that time comes, it means he's probably impressed a lot of people on the way, kind of like Marone did. Um, obviously, Marone didn't feel like the obvious NFL coach uh, profile when he got that job, and a lot of people questioned it. But he, uh, you know, we all knew he was a good coach, and he proved it in his, what, what two years in Buffalo? Like, he until this last four weeks, like, it looked like Brett Ryan was nowhere near as good for that job as Marone is, and, and the, the jury's still out on that. So, um Obviously, well, that, that's a problem that I don't think will present itself this year. Uh, not to stare everyone by bringing it up. And his buyout's huge, if I recall. I don't remember off the top of my head, but... I want to say his buyout is pretty enormous on his end. Like, in the first few years. Yeah. And that would be a lot to, like... If they if Syracuse does, like, 4-8 and eight this year, but it's, like, an impressive 4-8 and eight like we're talking about, like, where you can kind of see where things are going, um, I don't think that's going to be... That's still not the profile of a coach that you're going to, like make yeah. giant financial moves to get. And most of the programs that are going to be able to offer the money, like Trump card money, um, are going to be ones that can also go get, like, Elaine Kiffin or someone else that's a little trendier, even with Babers, you know, having a profile that, that will be kind of impressive. I concur. Um, so for the last few minutes, why don't we just talk a little prediction action? Uh, I know we both kind of chatted through um, where we thought this game was going to go, but Dan... Factoring in some weather, you know, maybe how do you see this one shaping up and then and then a final score? Um, so having been at the Wake Forest game, I cannot imagine, no matter what happens, that the weather is going to be as bad as that was. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take Syracuse to win 21-17. Uh, I think Wake is probably a better team than BC uh, and has a little more going for it on offense um, and just had the, that power running game going, I think. BC is going to struggle against an improving defense. I think Syracuse will not have the most sterling offensive game of all time, citing the weather. But I think it'll be, uh, I think they'll find a way to get, you know, three touchdowns on the board. And uh, I think we'll see another nice defensive performance. Uh, And it'll probably be a game that we, you know, we're we're probably going to feel a a little annoyed down the stretch. But I think uh, the team will hold on to get a record up to four and four and we'll feel all pretty good at the end of it. Fair enough. Uh, Yeah, I think this one's going to be a lot like the UConn game. Uh, there's going to be some aggravation, some frustration, some questions. There's at least going to be weather as a factor in this one, so that you won't be as apoplectic, perhaps, if something stupid happens. Um, like I said, I originally said 33-24 um, on BCI. I'm going to revise that, given the weather, to... Hmm. I'm going to go 28-24. And I'm not going to like it. But it's going to be a win, and that's that's what matters. 
Yeah, uh, well, hopefully we're right, and it isn't. Uh, I mean, I don't know. If we lose, to, if we lose to BC, it won't be like like we said. It won't be the end of the world. But I do feel like for like the the couple hours afterwards, we're gonna probably not be all that uh, all that happy about it. And then hopefully by podcast time next week, if that happens, we'll have uh, understood things and, and grasped things a little better. But I, I do feel confident. I think we'll win this game. Same, same. Um, all right, Dan. Anything else you wanted to uh, get off your chest before we uh, depart for the week? Uh, no, I think we got everything. I'm uh, excited. Uh, just I feel better about Syracuse football now than I have probably since after that Minnesota game where it's like, oh, yeah, we 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 are moving forward in the Marone era, the post-Marone era in the direction that we thought we would. So obviously that didn't work out, but uh, it seems like we have something totally different and uh, something that should keep on building. So very exciting. Uh, did not expect it. And I'm very glad to have Syracuse football on the uh, in the national uh headlines and on the the minds of of important college football people this week it's a it's a nice change cheers to that all right uh that was dan i'm john thanks for listening to troy noons an absolute podcast you can rate review subscribe on itunes on blog talk wherever else you might listen to us and go orange go orange at jared we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.